Welcome to the podcast to be named later, where we explore the world a conversation at a time. Sit back and enjoy. Here are your hosts, Chris and Kelly. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the podcast to be named later. I've got Chris on the line, and Chris, before we started, man, I thought you just came in from two-a-days from the latest NFL practice. How are you doing, man? (laughs) I'm pretty good. been breathing a little heavy, but I'm calming down now. I don't know exactly what the heart rate's at, but uh, it's calming down. Yeah, I've had a a hectic couple of hours. You and I were supposed to record about start about an hour ago, and I had some car trouble, and, you know, life just uh, jumps in front of you every once in a while, and so uh, uh, I hustled, got uh, life back on track, and... A little delay start to uh, recording today, but uh, all systems are go, sir. Well, we'll still make it. And speaking of uh, life jumping in front of people, uh, certainly happened to the U.S. Women's World Cup team in soccer. Uh, still give them lots of credit for uh, really making uh, lots of strides, but uh, didn't quite end up with the result they wanted. No, I mean, this is just a result of expectations. You know, uh, U.S. women's... Uh, sports in general, period, I, I think you can make a blanket statement, has been ahead of the world co- curve uh, for the most part for a long time. Um, and in women's soccer, for sure, uh, that's been evident, um, you know, that, that they are the dominant team uh, in uh, in that sport. But uh, credit to the rest of the world, you know, they've invested money, they've invested time. Um, young girls are... Uh, uh, you know, go, going through the process that it takes to, to get to this stage. And, um, you know, the, the reality is the, the rest of the world's just caught up, man. I mean, we're still a really good club. Um, that match with Sweden was epic. I mean, it could not have been any more evenly matched than it was. I mean, that was uh, uh, two Goliaths. And, I mean, it took two, two halves, two extra times. And then they went into... Uh, even after penalty kicks, they didn't have it decided. They had to go in an extra penalty kick. So, I mean, it really couldn't have been any more evenly matched. Um, you know, a lot of credit to Sweden, man. They're a really good club. And uh, I think coming into this, a lot of people knew that. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of good ones, man. Japan looks really good. Spain's real good. Um, you know, there, there's uh, a number of teams. I mean, all the remaining teams. I mean, any one of them, literally any one of them could win it. So, um uh, yeah, I see yeah. more power to the world and everybody, and that's not a U.S. bashing thing. And I, I will say, shame on anybody who, like, roots against the U.S. and, and or says that this team didn't uh, do well. I think the world did catch up. And you know what? Better that the competition is among more equals than well, just one team coming in and marching through and winning everything. And you know, it's unfortunate that the draw li- lined up, that it was the U.S. and Sweden at the time it was, but that's how the things lined up, and you had an epic game. I mean, what more can you ask for as a sports fan than to have a game that's uh, contested like that? And I think the thing about soccer is um, it is, you know, just that nonstop action. Yeah, there's not a lot of goals, but... It's that nonstop action, and frankly, the athleticism that it must take to play soccer uh, and run around like they do uh, uh, blows me away. And so I say, great. Um, I think that the U.S. women's team has done a huge amount for sports, not uh, women's sports and sports in general, not just in this country, but around the world. They've also 
raised a lot of issues, uh, both with pay and much more. So more power to them. Yeah, I'm sad that they didn't, uh, you know, take it to the next level. But I'm all for uh, spirited athletic competition. Agreed, man. I'll tell you a quick little story. Uh, you know, most of my uh, close family knows that Risk is my favorite game. And it's an evolved game kind of long, so you don't get to play it all the time. And uh, I have historically been um, pretty successful in the games of Risk we played. And, but bottom line is not a lot of people want to play with me very often. I, I don't get an opportunity to play. I usually get a token uh, birthday game, you know, so on my birthday, uh, my son or girlfriend or, 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 you know, whoever's around, they may uh, throw me a bone and, and allow me to play a game of risk with them because um, they know it brings me happiness. And uh, more of the story uh, is we played a game. I have my uh, sister and my nieces and nephew in town right now for the time being. And uh, we're all, uh, t you know, trying to spend some time together. And uh, we broke out a risk board and the kids said they wanted to play. And my son, my 13-year-old son, uh, just put a whooping on me and my niece Zoe. The three of us sat down and played, and I was the first one eliminated from the game. And uh, he put on a, a, a pretty good performance, man, and, and um, had a good plan, worked the plan, uh, you know, got some hot rolls when he needed to, and uh, was able to um, establish position and do all the things necessary in that game to win. And uh, I was the first one eliminated. And I'll tell you what, man, I just, uh, as much as I like to win, um, I couldn't have been more proud, and it couldn't have made me any happier for the fact that um, I love to compete, man. I, I love it. But I, I do, while I want to win, I want to feel like I earned it. And I want to feel like there was competition, man, and, and, and that uh, excitement of knowing, hey, it took my best effort in order to get the victory here today. If I'm just going out and smashing on everyone, sure, I, I mean, I still get the trophy, and that feels good, and winning always feels good no matter what. But, man, when you have to earn it and, and there's some doubt, uh, it's actually quite a bit more exciting. And for fans... Um, uh, it's it's a lot more exciting, right? If 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 the two teams are evenly matched, or if the com uh, contestants are evenly matched, and the fact that the rest of the world's women's teams have have caught up to the U.S. and and on any given day, uh, there's any number of teams that can beat them in a match. Uh, that's exciting, man, and I think it's good for the world. I think it's good for women's sports. I'm really proud of what um, the uh, U.S. women's team uh, did to fight for what they believed in and fight for equal rights, equal pay, and, uh, you know, help establish a, a, a baseline that's more uh, equitable to, to the men's. And, um, you know, they, they, uh, the women's teams we've had, dude, we, we've been pretty lucky, bro. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they are, uh, have been a special group of female individuals, uh, tough as nails, um, you know, a, a real testament to what you know the, the 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 best the u.s has to offer in terms of personality athleticism i mean just the whole package man we've had a a, a real nice run of hard-nosed you know tough competing uh tough tough competitor females uh over the last you know couple decades yeah i you know definitely memorable individuals both for their athletic performance on the field and you know the traits that they've demonstrated off the field and uh, you know, sports are probably as old as human life, and I'm a big fan of uh, whatever, whether it's a professional sport or whatever, finding ways for, 
people to participate. We've talked about it, and I'm sure we'll continue to. There's certain things that, and they can come from other things as well, but there's things that sports teach you about life and working together and, uh, you know, how to win graciously and uh, lose with uh, pride and respect the competition. And I think that anything that brings people into sports uh, and makes those opportunities available is a good thing. Agreed, Kelly, 100%. So um, speaking of sports and winning and losing, um, I don't know how you, you describe this other than uh, to change. If it's a win or a loss, I'm not sure yet, but the landscape in college football is... Uh, <laughs> The last five days has certainly changed. Talked a little bit before we started recording. Uh, the Pac-12 is down to the Pac-4, maybe the Pac-2. I haven't checked the headlines. Uh, just the whole change of the conference last summer with UCLA and USC coming over to the Big Ten. And now, uh, you know, their TV rights deal is ending this year, and they didn't find another deal. Uh, or one that was attractive. And so uh, now Oregon and Washington have already come over to the Big Ten. <laughs> so the Big Ten is now the Big 18 with, uh, <laughs> that makes it one third of the schools on the West Coast. I mean, that's uh, rather interesting. But, uh, and then uh, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona State are going to the Big 12. I think they're up to 16 now. Uh, you know, they had some schools leave and go over to the SEC. Uh, latest I heard was that uh, the other two California schools, you know, in the Bay Area, Cal and Stanford, might <laughs> this one I laugh a little just because, you know, the geography of conferences no longer makes any sense. Uh, but they might be going to the ACC. So you got, you know, Atlantic Coast Conference coming out to the West Coast. I'm not sure what that does for uh, Washington State and Oregon State and where they go or what happens, but uh, I guess life changes. I mean, uh, the Rose Bowl, which used to be, you know, the Big Ten champion between the Pac-10 and whatever number we want to attach to them all. Uh, and it's funny, they held out for their time slot and all that, and in their off years, they always wanted to be that game still, but... Now one of those two conferences is gone, basically. It, yeah, I mean, I'm not honestly not even when you mentioned it to me as uh, on the drive in when we talked a little bit. Uh, I'm not even up to speed on all the movement and and like at what stage they're at, what's finalized, what's you know what's just uh, speculation at this point. And so we'll see where the dust all settles. But um, yeah, pretty mind blowing, man. I mean, the, the you know we kind of have seen this coming for a while. I don't know what the end game is. I don't know where they get to eventually. So, um, you know, I, it feels like they're just kind of flying by the seat of their pants at this point. And I understand there's contracts, and you're talking about big, big money. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts with, uh, you know, billions of dollars <laughs> at stake. Uh, and the fact that it feels like they're just kind of, you know, winging it like a, you know, couple dudes in the Virginia mountains, you know, building a shack, uh, it's just mind blowing to me. So I don't know where we end up. Hopefully, you know, we end up with some type of, um, you know, organized, you know, and it's hard because there's going to always be tears and there's always going to be the haves and the have nots. And, um, I, I don't know exactly how you shake it up, but 
what I don't see how uh, the way it is currently is sustainable, give, given just the geography. So, you know, teams that are close to each other should play each other, and teams that are far apart should only play once in a while. To play an entire, I mean, teams already travel in the out-of-conference schedule and, you know, put a lot of miles. And um, now I with these new realignments, it- or, you know, in, in the uh, the new additions, I mean, it's, it's absurd that, that someone who goes to school uh, in Berkeley, California, you know, is is traveling to Clemson to play a game. And then next week, maybe they got to travel to NC State. I think the whole college sports landscape is such a quagmire of different things going on because, you know, it's the revenue generating sports and really uh, only a couple of them driving a lot of this because the money is there for those sports. And the challenge is that a lot of these schools, the money and revenue from those sports is what drives uh, the budget availability for many of the other sports i'm not a a total expert on this but i have looked at like you know the university of wisconsin's budget and stuff because when they put it out and i think in 2022 or 2021 the total budget was like 140 million dollars that the athletic department spent but almost every one of those sports that they have of i believe it's 20 uh loses money and i'm not saying that's right or wrong but the the football team in particular definitely brings in more revenue than it spends um so and then when people want to decry the changing of the conferences well are you gonna are you willing to stop spending um right on coaches salaries uh, on the i gotta have the latest locker room uh you know whatever for the team it's like a ongoing arms race so i do find it a little bit hypocritical when some of the people including you know conference leaders and coaches say well this is too much well i don't see you saying that when you when it comes time to sign the paycheck and you know when you get a raise and you know you're making 10 million already and this deal lets you get a little more i don't i don't see you saying nope i don't need any more and i'm not saying you should yeah, I don't know what the end, you know, I, I, it's fine. It is what it is. I mean, you know, each individual, and in this case, you know, they're universities, you know, I'm, I'm treating them like as if they were a person, but, um, you know, they're an entity. And, uh, you know, you get to make the choices that are right for you, man. And I don't begrudge anybody who makes a choice that they believe is what's best for them, you know, for them and their family, man. I, I've said that repeatedly, you know. Um, if yeah, I don't know. I mean, don't I, could, like I could, I could, and I don't have the answer. But I could ask, okay, why? So, why do we have college athletics? Well, how else is the NFL going to have <laughs> a, a minor league team? Yeah, okay, but I mean, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I mean, why are educational institutions having? Athletics, whatever sport it is, whether it's the footballs, the basketballs, or it's the gymnastics, the swimming, uh, fencing, rowing. Uh, You know, I mean, I I go down here in Wisconsin in the fall, and uh, from the student union out to the uh, 
along this path they call Lakeshore Path every afternoon. You can see the crew team practicing, and you know, the guys in the boat behind them uh, pushing them, and you're hearing the, you know, on his little megaphone yelling at these these students and in the boat you know you hear the uh, i don't even know the name in the crew but you know row row and these guys fly but why why is why are colleges doing that um, yeah i don't i don't have an answer for that kelly yeah no neither do i but i mean so and then when they get into that stuff and some of those sports become really popular like football and nobody i don't know you know um TV loves it because they like the uh, landscape. Uh, before we get into the NFL, uh, talking about changes, I don't know if you've seen this one, Chris. I guess I'm into a little bit of the business of sports today. Uh, any thoughts? Uh, looks like ESPN's going to jump big time into the gambling world. Uh, they, uh, and I'm not really up on these guys, but Barstool Sports. Uh, who had been affiliated with some gambling company, basically was bought back by its founder, and now ESPN's going to uh, basically do a $2 billion deal with some outfit called Penn Sports for their gambling. Uh, so they're all of a sudden into it big time. <laughs> I just find this it's so comical, man. I mean, you know, I've been into gambling my whole life, man, ever since... Uh, you know, I made my first bet with my Uncle Tim. I, I've been hooked. And uh, the first day I got to sit at the big boy table and break my piggy bank out with my uncles and, you know, play cards after Thanksgiving dinner or at someone's birthday party. I, I mean, I, I've been a junkie my whole life, man. And um, I've done it all. I've even worked in the casinos. Uh, I, I'm, I've uh, always had uh, ga some, some gambling in my blood my whole life and everything. And uh, it, it was it was just comical the hypocrisy uh, amongst you know the major sports and you know the, the media outlets and it was like this taboo subject to talk about and uh, I mean guys have been suspended and and so well still are and there's still there's still rules in place regarding gambling and I understand um, you don't want definitely don't want any tampering and and while a player is active in a league I can understand why you wouldn't want that player. Um, you wouldn't want any any questions to come up about motivations in, in any particular event. But, you know, they, they swept all this stuff under the rug and put a mask on it for all these years, decades, really. And then uh, I don't know what exactly opened Pandora's box and, and you know, when it was. But if in the last four or five years, you know, it's been this like, oh, let's let's just crack the crack the top and see what happens. And now you know, people are just recognizing the money. And I mean, there's a lot of politics and, and you know, like I, uh, I'm in California, I can't um, gamble in California because, you know, special interests, you know, tribal casinos and um, the, the uh, tracks, uh, you know, basically, you know, bought the vote. And um, so, but if I drive for Four and a half hours across the Arizona line, then it's perfectly legal there and perfectly fine to do. In a lot of other places that I go on my travels, it's perfectly legal. You can make a wager on a on a sporting event, uh, you know, legally through you know one of the apps. But in California, you cannot. And eventually, yeah, I mean, I assume they'll get their heads out of their butts at some point. But it's just it's the money that is generated from it is obscene. And, you know, it, it's, 
just printing money, man. <laughs> it really is. So, you know, if you're the guy housing it, uh, you know, there's a long time saying the house never loses or the yeah. house always wins. And, you know, it's just uh, you just print money. And, and that's, so I don't know why more people wouldn't want to be involved. You know, I mean, that's, I think, uh, you said you don't know what opens up Pandora's box. Well, I'll tell you this, buddy. It was a green key that opened it up. And that a green, green key? Explain. Green key was made of paper. Oh, the money. And had presidents on it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, everybody, either... Because if you're going to take a stand, which I would be fine with, if you're going to be a, a, a journalism organization for sports, you know, then that's your stand, and then you don't go in. Or, but if you're not, then you know, you, you you can't be half and half. I guarantee you, you're going to start to see even more gambling all over ESPN. I, I'm not as much of a better or gambler as you are. I've, I've done it, and I, if I wanted to, I could go across the state line here to Iowa and place bets. Um, it's always interesting, you know, which states you can and you can't. But I think we're just going to keep seeing this. And my biggest concern is uh, uh, really two things, I guess. I mean, it's like anything. It's another addiction that some people will really struggle with, and I hope that the people that do can get the help they need. Um, and then I'm sure, you know, we're already seeing it. Uh, the other thing I just worry about is the integrity of the sport, Uh just where there's opportunity for uh, badness, it just can creep in. Yeah, and and but you know, there's it's like that with everything, man. It so, is, and so and, you know, and like you said, man, I, I as someone who's battled with it, man, and made uh, terrible decisions uh, with with my money at, at uh, younger points in my life, where um, you know I was gambling to make money. And, uh, you know, unless you're like in the top of 1%, um, that's just not a thing that happens. So for, you know, people out there, if you're a professional gambler and you know that you make money, then, you know, then you know that. And, and I, I'm willing to bet you have yet years and years, probably decades of experience that have, has got you to the point where you're at currently. But for anyone else who thinks they're going to uh, gamble for profit. I, I just tell you, don't. <laughs> you won't. Uh, so you know, I, I over years and years. I mean, I'm approaching fifty, and I've been gambling since I was eight. And uh, you know, for years and years and years, um, it, it, it. I had to fine tune. You know, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. Set limits. You know, I have. I had to uh, develop separate accounts. You know what I mean to manage it because it's very easy to go off the rails. And, you know, at points in my younger days, um, you know, I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants and winging it and uh, figure out the money later. And um, that's not how, how you do it. You have to have a bankroll. You have to have limits. You have to understand that there are going to be losing streaks mixed in. And um, so, you know, if you have a $1,000 bankroll, let's say, for the season, you can't be betting $500 on a game. That's not, you know, you should be betting 20 you know what I mean? And because and it's very easy to lose, you know, f for a, a period of time, you know, weeks, months is not hard at all. So you just, you know, you got to set up, uh, set aside money that you're willing to lose. And, uh, and then, um, you know, try to make that money last, man, you know what I mean? And, and just stay within your limits and stuff. So I, yeah, anyone who's does struggle with it, which I know, because I have struggled with it. 
And, uh, you know, over time I've, uh, you know, developed mechanisms. And like I said, I have accounts um, that are set aside for it that are separate from all my other money. You know what I mean? It has nothing to do with paying bills or rent or car payments or anything. And, um, you know, and if that, if those funds get low, then that means I need to lower my buy-in. So I don't have, you know, 10% of a thousand is a lot less than 10% of 10,000. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta lower your, your stakes until you can build your bankroll back up and then you can increase your stakes from there. So, well, and I yeah. Think- uh, and you definitely don't want the players in, in the various leagues, like the contestants, um, to be thinking about it at all. You don't want them involved. But but I don't have a problem if a baseball player wants to bet on football games. I, I just don't have a problem with that at all. Like, it, uh, what, what effect does that have it, uh, in any way? And I don't have a problem with that, and I realize some people would. And But, I mean, how is that any different than, uh, you know, if they're out investing in a business or something? And, you know, I've said this many times to people that know me. Uh, I tell you, man. The line between gambling and investing in the stock market and such, uh, they're both just forms of legalized gambling. It's just that we don't put the word on one of them, um, in my opinion. And I've talked with many investment professionals about this, and, you know, they're at the end of the day, right? most investments that you buy you're buying them because you think at some point somebody else will pay you more for it yeah and you can tell me all about the patterns and analysis and the company's it's the same f- though Kelly. fundamentals there, there's no difference there isn't, I, i've said this story many times i might even said it on this podcast there was a point at which congress shut down online poker uh whatever year that was uh and at that time, I had an E-Trade account, and I had, uh, I mean, I had more than one. I played on Poker Stars, Full Tilt Poker, but um, from my perspective, man, you know, you got to look at it, okay, for, for, from my point of view, I open up my laptop computer, uh, I go to a website, I put in a username and password, and then I put $500 in off my credit card or transfer it from my bank account or PayPal or whatever. And then from that point, I put that money into something, uh, be it, you know, whatever, I pick it. I can, I can cl- click on various options. I can go re- do whatever I want with that money. And then when I'm done, I close my computer. Well, at the same time, I had an E-Trade account that I had, you know, whatever, say $1,000 in it, and I was monkeying around trying to buy and sell stocks and stuff. I also had a full tilt co- account that I put $1,000 in. And I was monkeying around playing, you know, pot limit Omaha and hold them and sit and go tournaments and just, you know, slapping money in different places, hoping I could turn it into more money. And both of them, from my perspective, were identical. I open up the laptop, put in a username and password, I, I, and then I move the money around and hope that it somehow magically at the end of the month is more than $1,000. And then on one day, they just decided poker was no good. But what was funny is at that time, um, you know, my E-Trade account was worth $450. So I had lost $650, but my poker account was worth 2000. So I doubled my money on the one you took away from me. This this one I'm actually good at and I and I make money doing it and I have a good understanding of it. The other one, the one that you said is legal, uh I suck at it. I don't know how to do this. Like I don't I I think this company's going to be good and turns out I was wrong and I think this company's going to be good and turns out I was wrong and I'm just not very all I know is my money's less. 
And so, and so you took away the one that I could actually make money at, and, and you left me with the one that I'm no, no good at. Yeah, no, I, there's a, you know, a lot that could be said on this very topic. I tell people, you listen to uh, people talking about investing and people talking about sports, and I tell you, man, you could change out the team names and the company names, and a lot of the things are the, the same. You know, oh, I got this hunch, and I, I mean... Yeah, long term, I think the prospects are good. If uh, if they can just get the offensive line to come together, if they you know, can just get the R and D department to spit out one more good, <laughs> you know, it is, it's man. like yeah, it's the same thing, man. And if, yeah, if this goes and right, so, then they're gonna make money. If this goes wrong, then they won't. You know, and yet as a society, we've basically said, uh, you know, for your financial future, we need you to put some money into this. This casino over here that we call investing, oh, in the form of called 401k, and, you know, I I get it. It's not as simple as I'm making it, but I don't think it's, I think it is a lot simpler. Uh, they just don't want to call it that, and, you know, uh, it's it's a complicated thing. Yeah, and I understand it's complicated, but, but the, the, the real thing is there's, people with power that are have an angle that they're coming from that you know they have a, 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 an interest in it you know their financial well-being is tied to the, the what what is legal and what is not well and that's why in the gambling space that's why like, like you said the house never loses hey man you get a you get the right bankroll and you get it you set up the the casino whatever you want to call it the book you know, and you got enough of a bankroll to survive the big hits. That's all. I mean, Las Vegas wasn't built on losses. No, no. I mean, it's just, you know, long, long term, uh, like you said, if you have the bankroll to sustain um, the swings, then it, you, you can't lose, man. I mean, it's, it's mathematics. So at that point, uh, you know, the math is just math, man. And if the game is set up to hold, you know, 17.8%, over a hundred thousand hands, it's going to get seventeen point eight percent. That's exactly you know. And I, I think the other fascinating thing to me is, and I don't know how they do it, man. Like, uh, how often odds makers are pretty close on games, you know, when they set the point spreads and all that, or, or, and everything else, you know, and it's like this half a point and all that. It's it's amazing how accurate those point spreads are. Yeah. Yep. I mean, but that's important to them to not lose their shirt. So I'm sure they, you know, know what they're doing. But it just blows me away. Uh, blowing away. We've blown away a lot of the clock time here. So let's uh, swing over, Chris. Uh, NFL a little bit. We won't get through everything today. But uh, calendar's definitely rolled around to a new year now. We've got... One preseason game, Hall of Fame game in the books. Uh, a bunch of uh, first-week games coming up this week, starting Thursday night. Just curious, Chris, as we kick off the 2023 NFL season, you know, what jumps out at you? What are, you, what are the storylines that you're interested in, uh, changes? Just anything you're interested in seeing how it shakes out? Uh, well, right now my focus is on fantasy, and so um, you know I haven't uh, really. So I have I have some gut feelings on 
teams that'll be better, offenses that'll be better, individual players that are maybe in better systems, things like that. So over the last month or so, most of my focus has been on, um, you know, stats and, and uh, production, things like that. Now, whether that translates to wins. So, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into winning football games. Um, a team can be great at scoring points, but if their defense is terrible, it might not, you know, uh, translate to wins. If the coaching is terrible, it might not translate to, to wins, things like that. So, you know, over the next month or so, I'd say, um, I, I'll start uh, uh, diving deeper into, um, you know, actual wins and losses. I don't think we have time to get into it. Maybe the next podcast we do, we can pick our divisions and, and uh, who, how we think uh, teams are going to, you know, what teams we're going to make the playoffs. Um, I definitely have some interest in and the NFC South, I think that is a, a very, it's not a very strong division on, on the surface, a lot of young quarterbacks, but it's a wide open division. And I'm kind of curious, uh, it can go a lot of different ways. And there's a lot of different styles, which that is a part that interests me. So the Atlanta Falcons are, are going to be basically like Georgia Tech. So, uh, you know, it is, I don't think they're running the veer, but I mean, it's a, it is going to be a run heavy football team. And, uh, you know, they should be able to play pretty solid defense and run the ball, uh, similar to like what the Titans have done over the last few years. And the Titans have been very successful playing uh, hard-nosed uh, football, you know, solid on defense and, and a strong running game. And, um, you know, they were the one seed one year and uh, they didn't have a lot of success in the playoffs, but they, they had a lot of success overall in winning games. And um, so that's kind of interesting to me. And then with Derek Carr going to New Orleans, which is uh, – uh, pretty stacked lineup still. I mean, they're getting a little long in the tooth, but that that overall team is is still pretty good. It's got a good roster, um, you know, top to bottom. And uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of curious like how that division shakes up. And then you have some more of the powerhouses. Obviously, the AFC East is very interesting. Um, you know, Dolphins. If Tua's healthy, and and you know can somehow manage to get through a season, which I don't have a lot of faith in. Um, but then that team is really good. And we know the bills are good. Um, you know, jets were kind of the darlings of the off season. They were in the headlines all the time, obviously picking up Rogers will do that for you. And, um, you know, they're the jets, big market, blah, blah, blah. And then you got the Patriots who's kind of the old guard, but you, they still have bill, you know, they always seem to find a way to be competitive, similar to like the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, good coaching and, and, a, a, a good front office and just like smart football people in power positions seem to make good franchises and the Patriots definitely qualify as that. So, uh, that's a pretty interesting division as well. Um, I had a couple, uh, like dark horse teams. The Jaguars are one of my dark horse teams. Um, defense is a little suspect and the offensive line, uh, isn't one of the better ones in football. And those are two pretty key elements to being successful. So the fact that they're not, uh, you know, not solid in those two departments, like just right off the top, you know, obviously should make you weary. But uh, reality is they weren't good on defense last year and they didn't have a very good offensive line last year. And they, they you know, made a run into the playoffs, gave, gave the Chiefs, uh, you know, uh, uh, all they could handle in their game in the divisional round. And so, um, you know, them. And then I think the Browns are another one. Uh, it's the first year that the Browns, don't have any hype around them and there's no expectations and and i think 
that pressure off of them. Uh, you know, after being kind of a, a dark horse pick over the last couple of years and not being successful, everyone just kind of said, oh, they're just the Browns and um, ha- have got off them. And now they'll, they'll be able to fly under the radar a little bit better. And they're another team that I think, uh, you know, might be better than what people realize right now. The Bears are another one, actually. The Bears are another in the NFC. Uh, they're a team that I think there are a lot of ifs, man. You know, so two new offensive linemen, um, uh, new running backs. Uh, can the quarterback continue to progress? Is DJ Moore a true, like, one receiver? You know, are, are they going to take a step forward? And, uh, you know, a lot of ifs, man. But if they do, they have a division that's winnable, and uh, they're in a conference that's weak, and they're another team that I think, you know, they're again, these are dark horses. The, the clear cuts are, you know, primary, primarily in the AFC. You got the Eagles and the 49ers in the NFC. I mean, you know, you put a gun to my head and tell me to pick a team. I'm, I'm going to go with one of those teams. And then the AFC, you know, same same characters, man, obviously the Chiefs. And, Bengals and Bills and, you know, but I'm, I'm saying outside of those clear-cut, like, obvious ones, uh, those are three of the teams, the Browns, the Jaguars, and the Bears that I think may be better than people think. Yeah, I'm one of the teams I'm curious really to see what happens uh, in the NFC North here. I mean, obviously there's the Packers, but we'll talk about them another time. Uh, Detroit, uh, the fans, for the first time since they've been playing in their new stadium, uh, they sold it out. The fans definitely believe, uh, you know, that they are, and the division's definitely winnable. So uh, I'm really curious to see what they do this year. Uh, I'm also curious to see uh, what does Sean Payton do in Denver? You know, he's one of these coaches that's, you know, got a reputation of being a coaching guru, not saying he's not, but. Can he turn all that circus around that went on in Denver last year? Uh, can he recover Russell Wilson's career? Um, what does he do? I'm also obviously curious to see what does happen with the Jets, you know, I mean, uh, because, again, last year they were kind of the darling, and then, you know, it all went a little bit sideways. Well, they think they've corrected that, and I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this uh, before, Uh, When you go all in on a superstar quarterback at the end of his career, what does he do? I mean, Aaron Rodgers probably as good a bet as any for quarterbacks in that category. Uh, But we'll see. I'm curious also, the Jaguars, you know, I was all over them last year several times talking about how Doug Peterson kind of seemed like a a good coach and was kind of cleaning up the Urban Meyer mess. So kind of curious to see how they do the really interesting thing about any of these teams in the NFL, man, you don't have long to show some sort of progress. You know, you know, often used to be five years, and if you know if you weren't really turning something around, you were going to be out. But it's not even always five years anymore. So just the law of averages and numbers says not all these, you know, people that we think are going to be up and coming or are, are going to be successful. So that's the fascinating thing to me about the NFL and the organizational dynamics because every time you do make a switch of a coach or a GM, you know, that's like pushing the reset button on everything you've been doing. Yeah, I I just, uh, 
in terms of life, man, I'm a firm believer in staying the course unless there is an obvious problem, unless you can recognize that, hey, this is, this is absolutely not going to work for whatever reason, whatever you're talking about, relationships, jobs, whatever. And uh, there's a, especially on sports teams or teams, you know, any type of team, there is just a ton of value in the familiarity, in um, staying the course, you know, to have to relearn. And, and I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with our, some of the like um, terminology, especially like on the offensive side of the ball, uh, just the words, just to learn all the vocabulary associated with the new system is a full-time job. And um, if you could take all that out of the equation, if you understand what all the words mean, with you know when you know what a honey jet sweep is and you know some of these things are like a full paragraph you know just for every play and z35 right cross x64 on two yeah i mean they're even shit longer than that some of them man and so uh omaha omaha <laughs> um so if you know if you can take some of that learning i've said this about children you know i, I think i've said that to you before about like uh our jobs as parents is is to raise your child. That's that's what I view my job as. I have two children, and my job is to raise them, to make them independent and capable of taking care of themselves. That's that's my number one priority. You know, I, obviously, I, I want to love them, and I want to make them confident, and I want to, um, you know, be there as support and be a rock for them. But uh, my job is to is to raise them, and. Um, and when you're going to send a child out in the world, you know, I, I've said this many times, man, if you can take the laundry off, off the learning table and, and the dishes and the vacuuming and the shopping and all the other various tedious things that you have to do in life, and if you could teach them how to do all those things, if they already know how to, to, to change the oil or, or put the gas in, in the car or, or fix a flat tire or, or like I said, do a load of laundry, the difference between doing towels and doing your shirts, you know, what you wash cold in, what you, what you, what clothes do you wash hot in, you know, or do what, you know, that type of stuff. So that way, when they get in the world, they're already going to be overwhelmed with all the other stuff, their new job or, or whatever it is that they're doing relationships and stuff. Um, so the more you can take off their plate, as just like a known thing, you know what I mean? That they don't have to think about it just as a muscle memory, the better position you put them in. And, and with a football team or baseball team or basketball or whatever, if they already know all the terminology, if they, all the players that are coming back are the same, you know what I mean? If the bathroom's in the same place and their locker's in the same place, these are all, you know, let's say there's 500 things that they have to learn in a given season. If they can remember 350 of them from last year, because they're the same, well, now they only have to learn 150 new things, whatever whatever those items might be or whatever, right? So you're just taking stuff off their plate. So now you can start fine-tuning. Now, if there's a problem with the scheme, if, if the quarterback's not talented enough, you know what I mean? If the offensive coordinator sucks and just, you know, is terrible at his job, well, okay, then make a change. But a lot of times that's not the case. It's just like, you know, like you said, man, it's so quick that we're so quick to pull the trigger and pull the rug out from underneath someone and say, nope, you suck, I'm getting a new one. Well, the newer is not always better, man. You know, sometimes the devil you know is, is better. Just work on what you, what you, with what you have and fine-tune it, get better at it, perfect it. Most of the issues, what, what separates uh, the good teams from the bad teams 
or or the good teams from the great teams. You know, what, what puts these teams into levels is consistency and execution. Most some some of his talent. I mean, some teams are more talented than others. Some players. Patrick Mahomes is, is simply more talented than Derek Carr is. That's all there is to it. He's just better uh, on a physical stand from a phys- physical standpoint. Um, but a lot of it, when you look at the whole team, you know, the talent very uh, uh, variation isn't very much. It's just you know this team just executes better. Like you look like I was talking about the Tennessee Titans earlier. No one would look at that roster and say they were the most talented team in the league or one of the most talented teams in the league. But yet every week when they lined up against somebody, they won more often than not. And that was because they didn't make any mistakes. They didn't beat themselves. I mean, shit, the Patriots teams won multiple Super Bowls not being the more talented team, but they just didn't make any mistakes. They had perfected what they do, and you can't do that if you keep. Tr- changing coaching staffs and changing players and changing everything every every two or three years you know and and starting over from scratch man there's just a lot of value in sticking with the program and uh continue to grind and just you know make tweaks and get better at what it is you do hey speaking of sticking with the program i don't know if you know the answer to this and i don't know that what i'm going to say is 100 percent right but i think it is so i I happened to watch just a tiny bit of Hard Knocks uh, last evening, uh, just the beginning of it. I noticed they were showing Aaron Rodgers in some practices. And, uh, you know, as part of the cadence, it sounded like what I heard him say was the same thing I used to hear him say in Green Bay, where he would say, uh, like, I think he says 319, 319. Um, Where... Like, why 319? Do you know? if that, I and, don't know. Like, you know, why? Any, any, like in high school, what'd your quarterback say? Oh, all kinds of stuff, man. I mean, we had various outables and, uh, yeah, I mean, there was ver- various. Uh, but is there um, some part of it that's repeated? Calls. Most of, um, no, it, it, we were down set, hut, hut, um, you know, go on one. It, you know, down, set, hut. That would be on one. Down, set, hut, hut. That'd be on two. You know what I mean? There, there's there are various things. If we were going to call an audible when we got to the line, uh, he'd say check, 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 check. And then my favorite was Gardena. Gardena, Gardena. That was that was my uh, that was my end my jet sweep. So I played tailback, but a lot of times we'd line up with no wide receiver or no running backs, uh, empty backfield. And so I would shift from like the tailback position to like a wing back, you know, or I'd be like offset from the um, tight end, you know, and, and from there I could do anything. I could run outs. I could, I could swing back around and take a handoff. I could, I could go wherever I wanted. I was pretty close to the line of scrimmage. I was maybe eight feet from the quarterback. So from there, like I could do all kinds of stuff. Well, if they had, uh, we ran a lot of like five wide receiver sets and stuff. So we were, we were a pass every team had a really good quarterback and, um, that was the type of offense we ran was uh, a spread offense. And so uh, <laughs> a lot of times we get boxes with like nobody in there and, you know, we'd have five ounce offensive linemen and there'd only be like four dudes in the box. You know what I mean? And it's like, Holy cow, we got a tight end, you know, two guards, two tackles, a center. And, you know, they only got like four or five guys down here, you know, uh, and so we would check the running plays and usually I'd have just like wide open space to run, you know? So, uh, Gardena was one of the, uh, 
uh, audibles if we showed up to a really light box or if they were shaded in and we felt like we could double down and, and pinch aside, then uh, then the tackle would pull. So it'd be, and we had a really good tackle. Um, and so uh, very athletic, could, could run really well, you know, and uh, this is high school. So they're not just like necessarily just big fat guys, you know what I mean? Like they're, some of sometimes the offensive linemen in high school are pretty athletic and uh so um yeah he'd get out in front of me and i'd just be about three or four feet behind him so everyone else would you know let's say everyone blocks to the right and you just you know basically like a zone block you, you pick up everybody whoever gets in your path you just maul them and a lot of double teams and like you know all four offensive linemen go to the right and scoop up as many people as they can on their way and push them all to the right and then the tackle would that was on the right side, he'd peel off, leave his guy alone, and the guard would pick him up or whatever, right? And and, and he'd get caught in the in the in the in the mosh, and he'd he'd take a step back, and then he'd swing around, and usually there'd be an end who was just left free, so everyone went to the right. Well, whoever was on the end of the line over there on our left, he'd just be left naked. He'd just be all by himself out there. No one blocked him, and the tackle would come with you know eight inch or eight yards head of steam and usually just blow him off his cleats and then i'd have this huge like 10 yard wide hole to run through (laughs) and and so anytime i heard gardena i was like oh yeah i'm about to get 15 on this play (laughs) all right chris i'm gonna put you on the spot i don't know if you can do it or not but be a good test of your memory and of the uh automatic speech recognition that i use when we're done to create a transcript Go back, uh, you know, 30 years, whatever it is, 34 years maybe. Uh, We're getting into Friday nights. It's football time. Can you give us the sound of, you know, pretend you're the quarterback, just everything you heard from one of your play calls that you'd always hear, just line up and give us the sound for the podcast if you can. Of uh, I can't books. I can't do it man. I, I don't remember them, dude. That was so long ago. I don't remember all the uh All right, the, make one up, man. Come on. Uh, so we get, we get to the line and uh 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 it'd be like trips left, uh heavy in um dude, put some emotion 37 0 counter. Was that? I hope, I hope your quarterback didn't go up to the line like that. Uh, trips left, 37, whatever. <laughs> what was the, uh, Let's have did, some you watch, did you watch the quarterback? Did yeah, you watch did. quarterback on Netflix? It was pretty good, man. It was really good. Uh, the one I liked was, um, uh, Mahomes call and it was a big play. It was a pass to, um, was it Noah Gray? Anyway, it was like a, a secondary tight end guy. It might've been like Noah Gray or something. And, uh, so he's calling out the play and, um, he, he could, you could hear Patrick Mahomes stumble and he's, you know, whatever, uh, you know, trips left Z Y, you know, whatever. He says this whole, all this whole play and stuff. And then he's like uh, tight end, uh, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, then they go and, and he was talking about that play after the fact, he's like, I couldn't remember what he was supposed to do. I couldn't remember what his job was. And he was the key guy. Like he's the, he, you know, he's the guy, this is the guy I'm supposed to, he's, he's the one, he's my, he's my who I'm going to. And I forgot what his play was called. And so um, I, I just said, like, whatever. You're like, you know what we're doing, bro. Just get out, get, get open. <laughs> I'd love to see a game and, you know, I guess maybe they do it a little bit in the Pro Bowl. They're close, as close to it as you're ever going to get. But, you know, just see a game where it's like, you know, what you do out in the street or whatever with your buds. You know, okay, 
you go, you know, whatever you can say in the stadium, you know, you go down to the bumper of the parked car over here and you go over to the manhole cover and I'll hit you. I'd love to see him just in a scrimmage or something, just make up those kind of nonsense plays like that and see what happens. Well, I've heard stories over the years listening to different NFL players talk, and they absolutely do that. Now, I mean, they have uh, generally calls for, like, the formation and stuff, and, and you know, so that's that's pretty structured. But the rest of it's like, you know, this guy might be running, uh, you know, plays designed for this guy to run, like, a seven-yard dig, uh, this guy to run, um, you know, a corner. And, you know, the, 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 generally there's almost always crossings. On, on, on most every play, not every play, but most plays have some type of, um, we're going to send two guys this way to get all the flow going that way, and then we're going to send another guy the other way, you know, and that that's really common. But the, the depths of those are, like, predetermined, you know, seven yards, 15 yards, whatever the case may be. And I, I know that um, I've definitely heard this uh where they're like, hey, man, you know, this is almost right. We just need this this space over here is all the way open. So instead of the running back going and doing this, screw that. Just send them over here to this open space. Like, we don't have a name for it. But, bro, just skip your normal job on this play and just go over here. Because we've run this play twice today, and the flat on the right side, there's nobody over there. If we could just get a body over there who isn't involved in the, in the rest of the pass play, uh, that guy's going to be wide open. And so, you know, whether it's a tackle eligible or a secondary tight end or the tailback or something, all we got to do is just get a human over to this area and, you know, he's going to be wide open. And, and they don't have – the play's not designed that way. They don't have necessarily a name for it. They just kind of draw it up in the dirt sort of. It's a takeoff of other plays. And I know that happens all the time. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more of it uh, that goes on than, you know, we know. I think it's it's always fascinating. Uh as are Chris, our conversations all the time. This one, uh, just for listeners, we sometimes talk about what we're going to obviously do a little show prep, but kind of went a, in a different direction with the first half of the show uh, than we thought we were, but uh, uh, going to a little more. But uh, definitely enjoyed it and uh, have enjoyed this episode, and I hope folks have enjoyed listening to it. Uh, Chris, good to catch up with you again. You too, Kelly. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of the podcast to be named later.